Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Simone Riscala, and you are listening to the Endow Podcast, a conversation not just about the feminine genius in general, but about cultivating your particular feminine genius through the Catholic intellectual tradition and intentional community. Well, hello, Endow ladies, Simone here, Director of Program Growth, and I am joined today by Father Francois Beiruti, who is the pastor of Holy Cross Melkite Church in Placencia, California, and he has a lot of other amazing things on his resume, uh, which I'm going to ask him about in just a second. I'm so excited to be joined here today with Father Francois, who's actually a Melkite priest, Um, but Father, would you open us up in prayer uh, before we begin? Absolutely. It's very appropriate to start everything in prayer. Since you mentioned that I'm a Melkite Catholic priest, I like to say a prayer from the Melkite liturgy of St. John Chrysostom, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O you who have granted us to pray together in harmony and who promise that when two or three are gathered to call upon your name, you will give what they ask. Do you now fulfill what your servants ask so far as it is good? granting us in this world the knowledge of your truth and the world to come eternal life. For you are good, O our God, and you love mankind, and we render glory to you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, now and always and forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father. Father, do you want to tell us a little, just a very brief biography of yourself before we kind of get into our conversation today? Okay. Depending when this uh, interview is broadcast, uh, I was ordained in, on October the 4th, 1998, 22 years-ish, more or less, uh, a priest. I was ordained in Ottawa, Canada. I was raised in Vancouver. I was born in Lebanon. And now I drifted to California. <laughs> like California. California. So, uh, but unlike some people who came for the weather or came for a variety of other reasons, we, as you know, as a priest, we get appointed. And we have one Melkite uh, Catholic diocese in the United States and one in Canada. And so I was part of the Diocese of Canada for a while. And now I'm, I'm part of the, I'm incarnating the U.S. diocese. And so Bishop Nicholas, who's been a good friend of mine since I entered the seminary in 1990, way back when, invited me to to come to the United States, and he sent me, appointed me to California, Placentia, Orange County. And then as I was on the plane, I realized God has a really good sense of humor. (laughs) Here I am. (laughs) I went from minus, uh, well, Canadian weather, minus 40 to uh, Celsius to plus 40. So... Yeah. By the way, um, I think the, uh, the Celsius and Fahrenheit meet at uh, around 30, uh, at uh, in the 40th range. I don't know. Oh I'm actually bad about it. Your- but anyways, it's where it's cold. It's yeah. from very cold to very nice. So life is good. How can Who I complain? That <laughs> would bring you to Southern California. It could have been worse. It could have been worse. It could have been worse. Exactly. So I'm very grateful to be here. And I'm also grateful to have met you, Simone, through our mutual My friend, friend, Katie Dawson. Yeah, uh, blessing, blessed uh, time that she we had we spent together, and um, and also very honored to to be asked to to be a part of this interview. Yeah, well, all I, I yeah, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. And Father Francois, I consider you one of our endowed priests, and I oh, even I was, I was going through the Melkite <laughs> Journal the other day. I think my parents had it in their in the house, and I was going through it, and I saw that. You had um, a group picture of me when I spoke to the youth group about Endow. And, oh, thank you. And that was that was a surprise. I didn't know that was going to be in there. But, you know, Endow is also heading into the Eastern Rites, which is so awesome. Go. So we, before oh. we kind of talk about 
how to pray with the Bible, which I'm so excited to, to learn actually from you because I've actually been wanting to get into back into scripture and back into my prayer life. So when we were talking about things we could talk about, even though mm. um, there are many things I know you could talk about. Really <laughs> Both of us could talk about yeah. anything we enjoy. <laughs> the gift know, nerdy, of yeah. Catholic yeah. theology is just like one of those things. Yeah, I was just really, um, at this point in my spiritual life, I was thinking, you know, I could really use some help actually mm. with praying with the Bible again. I feel like I've kind of gotten out of touch with that. So I want to get back into it. But before I do that, so you're a Melkite priest, and what's been pretty neat is that I've had on the on the podcast Father John Henry Hansen, who's a Norbertine, who's by ritual as an Armenian mm-hmm. Catholic priest. Correct. Yeah. And right now, our Letter to Women uh, webinar, we have Sister Trez Tuma, who's a Maronite right. uh, sister. Right. So you're 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 my third Eastern Rite uh, guest yeah. for Endow. So I'm so happy about. It. So can you explain a little? Because I, I I'd like to air this um, on the week of the feast of Saint Ignatius of Antioch. So if you could just give me a few minutes, just a little bit about the Melkite Church and the Eastern Rite, and then we can get into the the kind of substance of the of the interview about praying with the Bible. Sure, definitely. Um, I think the most important thing is to realize that the word Catholic has a, a Latin root and a Greek root. In uh, Latin, it means universal, and sometimes it's seen just that the fact that the Catholic Church is is everywhere around the world. But in the in Greek, it actually is kata olon, which means belonging to the whole. Mm-hmm. So in other words, it's being part of something that is greater than yourself. Of course, the word universal can also have that, that concept. But it's very important to kind of see that, you know, these words have a, both a Greek and a Latin word, Latin root. And the other reason that's important is because the early church grew in the East, was established in the East, of course, Jerusalem, Nazareth, Bethlehem, Galilee, that whole region. And that region around the Mediterranean ended up becoming the Roman Empire and becoming divided into two parts, the Eastern and Western Roman Empire. So when we speak of East and West, I think it's always very important to kind of, you know, we're not talking about like uh, the Catholics that happen to be from New York or something like that, or, uh, or, or you know, as opposed to California. It's not like the ge- geographical point of reference is not America, or if you're in Europe, it's not like Eastern Europe as opposed to Western Europe. It's the Roman Empire. So the Eastern part of the Roman Empire was the Middle East and Northern Africa and that part. And so Christianity grew as was established. Uh, uh, as, you, as I just said in, in the release, but then Jesus didn't say, Hey, okay, just keep, just keep this a secret. Stick around here. Don't go very far. He said, go out into the whole world. The whole the first the whole... non Middle Eastern move he made. Don't, don't stay close to home. Get out. There. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't stay with your mother, you know, move out soon, you know, get out. <laughs> I <had laughs> yeah, exactly. The first joke in there. Yeah, people didn't get that part of the story. Exactly. So um, that's exactly what the apostles did. Uh, St. Thomas went all the way to India and uh, St. Peter and Paul first went to Antioch and then they, you know, they went through Greece and then they had several trips. You can look, take a look at a good Bible map for that one. And then uh, they ended up, of course, as we know, in Rome, where both Peter, St. Peter and Paul were both uh, martyred for their faith. So um, what's important uh, for Eastern Catholic churches is that we are the apostolic church that established that was established by Jesus and the apostles in the East. You know, very often we speak of the apostolic see of Rome. Well, there are other apostolic sees, and all the other apostolic sees are in uh, in the East. And yes. so we trace our roots, of course, to Jerusalem, to the upper room, 
um, to the first disciples that believed in Jesus' death and resurrection and proclaimed it. But also our patriarch is the patriarch of Antioch, Alexandria, and Jerusalem. Antioch is a very important city because in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, we read that it was in Antioch that the followers of Jesus were first called Christians. And so that title was being used and it was coined in the, in the East. And um, the disciples prayed there, established churches there. Unfortunately, today, the numbers of, of the Eastern Catholics and Orthodox in the East are much are smaller than they used to just because of political situations. And, uh, but the Catholic Church is very careful and very supportive of all the, the different rights, R-I-T-E, uh, of the Catholic Church, because um, you can read the document on the Eastern Catholic Churches in Vatican II that reemphasizes the ancient roots of the Eastern Catholic Churches and that they are not just an aberration of, of like the Roman rite, which is the perfect rite, but they are apostolic um, centers. In their own right. in yes, yeah. Right. So, in brief, sometimes we use the word rite, sometimes we use the word church, and sometimes people get like a little nervous when you talk about Eastern Catholic Church. It's not the church has, the there are many levels of the church, yeah. and we yeah. are an Eastern Catholic church. And we the right the word right refers to the rituals. Sometimes those words end up being synonymous, but it's not correct to call us a Melkite right. We use a Melkite right. We use a Byzantine right, but we are a Melkite Catholic church that oh. has apostolic origins. That's that a, that's a big correction, Father. I've been saying Armenian right or Melkite. Yeah, or yeah. Right, but you're right. You're right. There you <laughs> go. Better right. <laughs> be right than wrong, right? So. <laughs> Yeah, so these these are very important distinctions to make because it also is rooted in the self-understanding of the Eastern Catholic churches that if we are a church, there's not just the rituals. It's a, There's a liturgical tradition, but there's also a spiritual tradition. There's a intellectual tradition. There's, a, there's, a, there's an iconographic your tradition. Path, your own liturgical calendars, the same. Correct, yeah. There's, there's a yeah. whole, there's, there's even Eastern Code of Canon Law. There's a separate Code of Canon Law. Which is just, which is beyond just universal. Each belongs to the whole and both, and each is an expression of the whole. And I think today that is a really important point to re-emphasize over and over again, especially in ecumenical discussions and also with, when we talk about apologetics with Protestants and, and churches who have split away is that this, the divisions of the church are not just divisions, uh, in the West. In other words, when Protestants split off from Roman Catholicism, they made a very significant mistake. They broke off from apostolic tradition right. that was held by all the other Eastern Catholic and Orthodox churches. So there are some things they didn't like in Roman Catholicism, but they failed to realize that this is historic and apostolic Christianity, and that you, don't, you simply don't have the option to opt out of apostolic Christianity. And when you study the Eastern Catholic churches, you realize that the, a lot of the traditions, like the belief in the reverence for Mary, the Eucharist, apostolic succession, were not like made up by some random pope and imposed on the West. These, it's these not a medieval not, thing. It's not. A, it's not correct. A yeah. Thing. So it's, it's, so yeah. it becomes very important. But in 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 closing on the, on that topic, it, to to summarize it, there are different ways of summarizing all the Eastern Catholic and Orthodox churches. But it's easiest going back to the word right. <laughs> it actually is easier to to summarize it by liturgical traditions so if you can think of five liturgical traditions within the catholic church the largest of course is the roman rite slash latin rite 
Um, and then in the East, you have the other four main liturgical traditions. And uh, the largest is the Byzantine. And the reason I break it up into liturgical traditions is because that lit- the liturgical traditions of the East also form a variety of churches. So, for example, within the Byzantine family, you have the Melkites, but you also have the Ukrainian Catholics and the Orthodox, the Russian Catholics and Orthodox, the Romanian Catholics and Orthodox, uh, the Bulgarians, etc. And then you have the, the Syriac family, which is the Maronite, and then you have the Armenian family, and then you have the Coptic family. So those uh, five liturgical traditions form the Kata alone. And within those traditions in the West, of course, the Roman Rite is all Roman Catholic, but in the East, some are Catholic and some are Orthodox. It's um, a misnomer. It's, it's, not, it's Latin Rite. It's not really Roman Rite or Roman Catholicism. It's you know what? Yeah, I'll leave that to uh, the, the canonists and whoever wants to discuss. Yeah, I mean, but but I, these terms are used uh, sometimes anonymously, sometimes in different ways, yeah. but it's important to kind of just realize that there are two sides of the coin sometimes. It's called the Roman Rite because of the city of Rome, right. but Latin Rite because of um, the language yeah. the language of the Western Empire yeah. was Latin, um, etc. So yeah. that's kind of a, a brief on a brief. Uh, the Eastern Catholic churches. Today, of course, East and West uh, are completely, don't, don't mean what they used to mean because we have Eastern Catholics in California and we have Eastern Catholics in Europe and Africa <laughs> and we have Roman Catholics all over the world. So that um, that categorization don't, no longer means what it what it used to mean, but it still means that within the Catholic Church, as established by Jesus Christ and spread by the apostles, that there were prayers, there were churches that were of apostolic origin in the western part of the Roman Empire, Rome, and in the eastern part of the Roman Empire, Antioch, Jerusalem, Alexandria, and all the way to India. Uh, so Charles. one of these days, I'm going to find, well, hopefully we'll find a, a back in endow, a donor who's going to fund our study on Ud Unum Sint, right? And, I would love that. And, and yeah. That would be amazing. Well, if you yeah. know anyone who, who you know, I think, wants I think, to fund uh, <laughs> Another one which I would love is is, is a study on St. Macrina. Oh, St. Macrina, look at you. That's so you need to, uh, we'll, we'll, th- we'll have a discussion we'll about that. Maybe, we can, maybe we can make it happen. But, but just, just, yeah, that'd be amazing. Well, yeah, Udum Sint is the um, the magisterial doc- document on the Eastern churches. Absolutely. Uh, and so I think just for our listeners, we don't know right. what Udum Sint is. That's what that's about. And so we would love to have a study guide on that. But I think just to synthesize real quick what you're saying, Father, is that the, the, the church was born out of the East, the Eastern part of the Roman Empire. It spread right. to the West. Um, it's apostolic because apostles founded these Christian communities. Out, out of these Christian communities came these traditions, like you mentioned, the Byzantine, the Armenian, etc. cetera. Uh, and then from those traditions came these different rites where you see like the Melkites and the Maronites and the Armenians and the Byzantines and so forth. So it's a very rich, very Catholic experience and so um thank you so much for giving us a very very bird's eye view of all of that but i think i think it's really beautiful and important and um and and i want to just keep having these conversations uh with our endowed friends and fans and priests because i think that is part of what john paul ii's vision is that the church would in his words breathe with both lungs exactly kind of have these conversations and expose latins as they they were called historically to the east and Easterners are already very much uh, familiar with 
uh, with Roman Catholicism, but the more we can kind of become unified and build bridges together, I think the more richer our Christian experience is. But that being said, teach me how to pray with the Bible. <laughs> okay, great. Um, I hope, just like you, I love the Bible. I spent my most of my academic life <laughs> studying the Bible. I not only like to take a few, uh, it was like, you know, these are the requirements to, to graduate. And then I took all my electives were always in the Bible. And uh, I took as I took as little canon law as possible, so don't ask me any canon law questions. <laughs> and so any canon law elective, I kind of like, ah, you know what, I'll pass that. If I have a question, I'll call someone. <laughs> so I took all the extra. I was Bible. Googling canon law and the general instruction for the Roman Missal yesterday. <laughs> My mom's Bible study was meeting. They were arguing over intinction and communion. And I thought, yeah, yeah. I, will never, I will never enter into an argument with you about that. So uh, <laughs> um, you can talk to somebody else about any of those questions. But I really love the Bible for a variety of reasons. Uh, first of all, it's our book. And it's our book. It's the, and there's a saying that, you know, a Bible is like a parachute. It doesn't really work if it's not if it doesn't if it's not open, right? So I kind of think of that analogy: open up the Bible and read it. And and then I continued after uh, finishing my theology to do some to do graduate work in in scripture. Uh, I got my master's in licentiate at St. Paul University, and then went on to do a doctorate oh, wow. um, in scripture, uh, focusing on John. Well, focus on origin of Alexandria's commentary on the Gospel oh, of John. Wow. So you can say I love the Bible and love reading the Bible and love kind of sharing how to interpret the Bible. You know, people always ask, well, how do I read the Bible? Well, um, after presenting a few different topic talks here and there, I, I came up with an acronym. I thought this would be an easy way for everybody to remember that you need to, there are different stages, different layers, if you will, of reading the Bible. And the acronym is very simple, uh, pray. You'll never forget the word pray, P-R-A-Y. I, I can't wait to hear so, that. And, and this acronym helps us combine what sometimes is called like a spiritual reading or sometimes a more academic reading or, you know, like people talk about Lexio Divina and everybody has a different mm -hmm. um, way of reading, which, which are all good. But I think comprehensive reading of the Bible needs to have all four of these elements. So I kind of gave away, I'm not sure if you're allowed to make uh, acronyms, uh, but the, that the first letter is, is actually the acronym itself. But, but it is what it is. It is so <laughs> the, the P is kind of easy. It's, uh, I kind of gave it away in, uh, in the acronym. It might sound obvious, but um, we got to pray. <laughs> I don't know that it is, though. I mean, yeah, I, it, it, I, exactly. But, and that's, that's kind of the problem. Sometimes people, like, they go what I, what I call a biblical roulette. Right. They pick up a Bible and they right. go, well, you know, I feel that if this is the word of God, let's kind of pick a verse. And then they, then they get into and the dust returns to the earth as it once was. And they're like, you know, OK, that wasn't too inspiring, was it? So there has to be a little bit of a systematic way. So whenever you read the Bible, I like to say pray, P-R-A-Y the Bible, pray the Bible. So in other words, um, pray before reading the Bible, because realize that the Bible is the word of God. And if it's the word of God, well, who would you want to help you with reading the Bible? You want God to read the Bible. You want God to help you reading the Bible. So the very important, the very first and most important thing is to pray. And you can find different prayers. I like, I'm going to pray this prayer, which is, which kind of summarizes why we pray before reading the Bible. And in both East and West, uh, there are more prayers than people know of, because sometimes there are prayers that the priest says and, and before Vatican II, there were more silent prayers or more preparatory prayers. 
that the priests have. We, we've maintained, this is the, the beauty of studying East to West, we've maintained a lot of the silent prayers and a lot of the longer prayers. And uh, sometimes people think we're too long, but that's okay. We say a prayer right before we read the gospel, shine in our hearts. And I try to take these prayers out loud, even though some, sometimes people, some priests say it quietly, uh, just because just, just to make sure the liturgy isn't too long. But listen to how beautiful this prayer is. Shine in our hearts, master who love mankind the pure light of your divine knowledge and open the eyes of our mind that we may understand the announcing of your good news. Set in us the fear of your blessed commandments so that trampling all carnal desires, we may begin to live according to the spirit, both willing and doing everything for your pleasure. For you are the light of our souls and bodies, Christ God, and render glory to you and to your eternal father and to your all holy, good and life-giving spirit now and always and forever and ever. Amen. Magnificent prayer that encapsulates everything, that our human mind is important, but we want God's mind to work in us. We want God to open up our minds because when we read something, we're reading it from the perspective of our knowledge, our intelligence, the things that we see and experience in the world. We want to read the Bible from God's perspective and with God's with God's assistance, with God's inspiration, with God's yeah, strength, right. with right. God's wisdom. And without that, guess what? <laughs> we're not going to get very far because we're, we might end up looking, trying to find things in the Bible that suits whatever it is. Whatever we want. We, we, want, we want wisdom. We want wisdom when we read yeah. the eternal and spiritual perspective when we read the scriptures. Yeah. Right. So simple, yet... Who would have thought? Who would have thought, right? <laughs> Pray. And, and this theme is actually found throughout Scripture itself. Uh, Psalm 51, 15, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall Breathe go forth your praise. It's not me. It's not me telling God what I want him to do. It's God opening my mouth, God enabling that. me. And that's yeah. how the, 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 the office is opened up. Yep. The Roman breviary. Beautiful. Okay, I, I can't wait for the R. What's okay, R? so make sure you pray. Number one, pray. Be pray. humble. Approach the Bible as if you're approaching the Word of God, remembering that it's the Spirit of God speaking into our hearts and minds, and God is the one who's going to open our hearts to understand it. Now, the number two is read. Now, that might say, well, obviously it's a book, right? You got to read it. Well, yes and no. Maybe I should start with don't read, <laughs> how not to read the Bible. And I, I, mentioned, I mentioned one example. Don't read the Bible in, in a sporadic way. Just like, you know, one, one day I'm reading chapter, you know, Psalm 2. One re, one, next week I'm reading John 2. And the week after I'm reading Second Kings 2. <laughs> maybe, I like, maybe I like the number 2. And then I'm going to read every 2 All in the two. entire Bible. <laughs> and the, the reason this is important, because sometimes a right understanding of the Bible leads to a wrong way of doing things. The right understanding is, yes, everything in Scripture is inspired. Everything is the Word of God, but that's not how you read the Bible. So we need to read the Bible in uh, in a historical way, but also in what we call the plan of salvation. Hmm. We have to understand that God has a plan. So we have to understand that plan and realize how the Bible and every part of the Bible fits into that plan. It's like Jeff Cavins, great yeah. has has a has a wonderful program, yeah. the Bible timeline. Right, and that you know Jeff Cavins has popularized it, but that Bible timeline concept has been part of Bible study all along. We don't just read 
and this is the only the thing that people say, well, I don't understand. Well, we don't read, we don't understand and then read. We have to read and then understand. Let me give you a very simple example. Um, Acts chapter 8, of course, it's the, the section of the Ethiopian eunuch. He was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said to him, how can I unless someone guides me? At least he was reading. At least he knew what he needed to understand. So it's very important to not read the Bible, just say, oh, I, you know, I read passages. But to have in your mind, regardless of how old you are, that you want to read the Bible, the entire Bible, several times and over and over again in your life. At the first level, you want to read the whole Bible, or I would recommend actually starting with something like Je- like a Jeff, Jeff Cavins' program, because at least that gives you the framework for the, the historical story of salvation. Yeah. But you need to know all the parts of the Bible, whether you understand it or not, whether some parts of the Bible are more obscure than others. So it's a matter of two things at the, at the R level, read level. One is reading the entire Bible and knowing that each section fits into the plan of salvation, how that section fits in the plan of salvation, and then having the discipline to read the difficult sections in, uh, just, for the, just to know uh, all the parts of the Bible and not to pick and choose the ones that you naturally gravitate to. Because otherwise, we're going to be reading Psalm 23 every single day. I mean, I mean if you read Psalm 23, no, what, more, no, what no, more do you want, right? But here's my question. If you're reading things that, are, that you need a teacher for, how is it that you can still pray with them? Because I think Bible praying and Bible study are two different things, even though they're blended. How mm-hmm. do you... Like in your, okay, so there's time that, that one can allot to Bible study. But then if you're, right. if you're trying to in your, in your daily kind of prayer plan, just encountering the word, letting God, hearing God's voice, letting him speak to you, how does this work? How do the obscure passages work when, you're, when you're, your aim is less on the study end, more on the prayer end? Okay, well, that's where we get to the second, uh, the last part of the last two parts of it, because uh, we, you need to have kind of a disciplined approach to reading the Bible. Okay. It's very important not to jump to the application or to the spiritual meanings uh, or get stuck in the difficult passages uh-huh. early on. And that's why when I say read, I don't mean just read words. I mean read the entire Bible, <laughs> to make a long story short. Yeah. You, have to be, you have to be able to develop what um, basically all the fathers of the church and all the early writers, all the saints, develop is called the mind of Scripture, the mind of Christ that is expressed in the mind of Scripture. What is the Bible trying to say, and how does each verse fit into the whole? And sometimes people ask me, you know, Father, what does this verse mean? I say, well, don't just look at what this verse means. Look at how does this verse fit into the plan of salvation. Mm. Of course, there are certain meanings of where, where locations are, are and where cities are and, and what Jesus may have meant. But you cannot read a passage in isolation. Yeah. And that's why, you know, although although it's somewhat good, people have these apps that, you know, you pop up a daily Bible reading. Wonderful. But that's not the Bible. Like, you now I tell people, do you read the Bible? Go, oh, I've got this app. Every morning I get, you know, some random Bible. Well, how about read some random Bible verse? Well, how about reading the verse before and reading the verse after it? And how about not just right, right. Like, having this verse pop up as you're eating your breakfast? We need, when we read each verse, we need to be able 
able to answer the question, how does this verse fit into the larger plan of salvation? And we as Catholics are, are very blessed, especially, you know, sometimes people criticize Catholics for uh, not studying the Bible. But ironically, the best studies on the Bible are by Catholics. Mm-hmm. And the best study Bibles are Catholic study Bibles. The greatest fathers of the church who talk about the Bibles were all Catholic authors of both East and West, to be to note. So when you when you read in that way to see the entire plan of salvation, especially with the Catholic Bible, take a look at, you know, I say the footnotes, whatever Bible ver- version you have. And now they're amazing. There's, of course, the New American Bible has outstanding uh, footnotes. There is an Oxford Catholic Study Bible, also amazing footnotes and charts and everything like that. Um, there's a variety of other ones. There's the Ignatius Study Bible. And now Jeff Cavins published recently a Bible. And all, the, all those different Bibles, why so many Bibles? At the end of the day, a good Catholic Study Bible will help you see, look, uh, spend some time and discipline yourself to read the footnotes and to read what this verse refers to and where other parts of the Bible are brought in to make, to give us meaning. So it's not just what does this particular verse mean? It's how does this verse fit into the plan of salvation? And that's that level of, of reading, which then leads us, we kind of dovetailed to, we, we kind of attached two together because the reading part should be done in a, the initial way of reading should not jump to the application right away. Mm-hmm. Should not try to do more analysis. You need to. I kind of think, sometimes think of an analogy of baseball, a baseball diamond. You have to know that there are four. Right. You have to know the distance. You have to know where the field is. You gotta. That's the reading part. Discipline yourself to read without jumping into too much. I don't understand it. It's you read for knowledge. You read to to be able to see the plan of salvation, and then. Attached to that, and of course, it overlaps, is that you analyze. P-R-A is the analysis. Now, this is very important because, like the passage I just read, where the Ethiopian did not understand the word until, until Philip explained it to him. He opened the Bible, he read it, but then he needed an explanation, okay? And that's the analysis part, where the footnotes come in, where Bible studies come in, where you spend your entire life sometimes analyzing a verse. I did my whole PhD on two verses in the Gospel of John, which is kind of scary. <laughs> People have done it on one word, love Amazing. or something like that. So the analysis is so important. I'll give you a very, very simple example of how analysis sometimes it brings us to a level of reading the Bible that we did not automatically understand on our own. And this goes goes through all of all of Scripture. So, for example, when... We hear Jesus on the cross say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? For those who have not done an analysis of that, if you're just looking at a verse and saying, you know, what does this verse mean? You're going to go in all sorts of directions that are wrong. Yeah. So, and I've heard it. I've heard it in talks and write, writings and all sorts of mm-hmm. um, that people say, well, you know, Jesus' humanity was despairing and Jesus showed that he was tired, et cetera, et cetera. Well, none of that is true, actually. It's, it's very simple for those who have a biblical mind. If you know if, and realize that before the 1500s, people didn't have a printed Bible. You know, all Bibles were handwritten. And even until recently where we, have, we, can, we can download Bibles, buy Bibles online, etc. People have to spend more time memorizing the Bible. And that's how you develop a biblical mindset is you, you learn text and you, you read the entire Bible. And... And then when you read something else, 
it creates kind of a, a connection in your mind. So for those who knew the Old Testament, what were the prayers, the main prayers in the Old Testament? Main prayers were the Psalms and that they people would have memorized. They wouldn't just have read them. Um, they would have memorized them one by one. And when we open up a Bible, we see numbers in Psalms. Well, people didn't have those numbers in Psalms. How were the Psalms um, identified? They were identified by the first verse of the Psalm, right? So Jesus on the cross is saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, he's not actually feeling forsaken by God, yet he's reciting Psalm 22. He's not despairing. He's expressing difficulty and grief. Obviously, he wasn't comfortable on the cross. But so the analysis part says, wait a minute, that verse or something, if you've memorized the Psalms, you say, wait a minute, that verse sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, isn't that uh, that Psalm, you know, which we say 22 now, isn't that that Psalm kind of in the First, uh, first, yeah, I've uh, heard that somewhere before. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that before. So let's go look at it. My God, wow, coincident, coincidentally enough, no coincidences, by the way, in the Bible that's called intertexture. No co- coincidences. The Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my prayer, from the words of my cry. Oh, my God, I cry out by day, and you answer not by night, and there is no relief for me. And then you go into deeper analysis and say, well, first of all, why, why would they say that? Why would David, you know, attribute it to David, uh, David Saylor or the psalmist, why would he say that? And then you, when you go into greater analysis and try to study the language of the psalms and the history of the psalms, what the psalms try to do, you realize, well, you know, the psalms are very honest conversations with God. And they're a lesson in prayer for us. Yeah. So if we're having a rough day, we shouldn't say Oh, you know, I can't talk to God about my rough day. All God wants me to do is say the Our Father and praise Him, say nice things, and tell Him how much I love Him, and that's good. No, I mean, I can't talk to Him about the real stuff, but exactly, the Psalms are super real. (laughs) Exactly, and this is where the analysis comes in. When you when you take a verse, and you need to be shocked at these verses. Otherwise, if we're not shocked at them, then we're missing something. Yeah. So. This verse, not only in Mark 15, when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? Not only should that shock us, but Psalm 22 should shock us. Of why, why, is, why are the first two verses in Psalm 22 talking about grief? Why are they complaining to God? Are we allowed to complain? Wait a minute, we're not supposed to be complaining to God, right? Isn't that bad? Isn't that a sin? No. The Psalms give us permission to say, God, I love you. Actually, before I'm going to tell you I love you, I'm just having a rough day. <laughs> I'm having a really rough day. And guess what this happened? Is, this is what we mean by a personal relationship with Jesus. Absolutely. Like, what are you so, doing? What are you, letting, what are you letting happen here, Lord? So, exactly. So, so, the, so the Psalms give us that permission. But just to briefly, I, I know we're kind of uh, conscious of time, but just this one word that shifts the entire theme or it, it actually puts those two verses in context and when you read the bible make sure you pay attention to the smallest words you know my history teacher you know would always say if is the largest word in history uh, if somebody had, if so yeah. notice the ifs verse four yet you are enthroned in the holy place yet if but those are important so in other words you have Two verses, actually, verse one is not a verse, it's just the title of the psalm. So it's, my God, my God, why have you saying? But then verse four, which is actually the third verse, after expressing our grief to God, 
then we say, wait a minute, I'm allowed. Number one, I'm allowed to express grief to God. But number two, every single time I have gone through a problem, God has been there. Yeah. So read the rest of it. Yet you are enthroned in the holy places, O glory of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. Wow. That just completely now changes our framework for Mark 15, where on the cross is Jesus saying he is depressed, he is discouraged, he, is, he has lost hope. He's like saying, I'm on the cross, I'm ready to die, but guess what? God is there for me, and every time we trust in God, God is our Redeemer. So that's the analysis. Now, we can, you can spend literally 10 years, 20 years, you spend your entire life doing this kind of analysis. And every single passage of the Bible, I very much encourage you to slow down, read a passage. First of all, read systematically. People ask me, how, what, where should I start? Some, some like to start with, you know, it's, it's not, there isn't really a systematic rule, but start with one of the gospels. I personally like to start with, uh, encourage people to start with the gospel of Luke, because that way they can read Luke and they can read Acts. And plus, Luke uh, has so many women parts in it. So all the, all the oh, women, women, are are women hey. all the, this is true. This is, <laughs> Luke, Luke presents uh, true woman power. They're like, they're always kind of uh, versals or so many reversals in Luke. So I love the gospel of Luke because of Luke Acts. So you can read the two chapters, but regardless of what you do, start somewhere. So, so Luke wrote Acts. Luke, so Luke, wrote, the, Luke point, wrote the right? Acts of the Apostles, right. correct. Okay. So we have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Some some start with Mark because the shortest. Some like to start with John because it's the most reflective, or we call it the, more the, the most theological. I mean, they're all theological, but there's, there's a greater, um, the dialogues are much longer. But I like uh, to start with Luke. The point is, regardless of where you start, it doesn't really matter. Start with a chapter and go systematically through it, and then stop and read the footnotes and begin to see that this passage, like Luke 1, is just not written in isolation. It's written, every part of the Bible is written within the fabric of the entire plan of salvation. Right. All of it. Right. So if you don't see that because we don't, we don't have the Bible memorized, it's okay. We have the answers. We have, the, we have good footnotes. We have, we, have, we have the internet sometimes. You know, we got to be careful because <laughs> a lot of wacky stuff out there. The point is, read it. And even if you don't understand it, by the time you get to the end of Luke, you're going to be understanding Luke 1 in a better way. By the time you get to Luke 2, you understand Luke 1. By the time you get to Luke 3, you're going to understand Luke 1 and 2, et cetera, et cetera. By the time you get to Revelation, you're going to understand, yeah. you're understand Genesis. Yeah. I think this so, has been – okay, well, okay. Do you have two minutes to, to wrap up the, the why part? Because I want to – Yes, I, I do. I, 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 I don't want to miss that part, but I also no, – so That was a bit of a joke. Yes, I do, because that's the last part. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, pray, read, analyze, and say yes. So that's what your your question was before. Was well, how do I read this in a spiritual way? How am I? How do I? How do I get out of the Bible something more than just history? And the important thing is, after this is why it's so important. You can't say yes to a passage like where Jesus says, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" If you don't understand the context, because you're going to say, "Wait a minute, what am I saying yes to?" <laughs> yeah, God, yes, God has forsaken me. No, let's say you read that passage. If you haven't done the analysis and if you haven't read in the full context, then you're, you're, you're in a completely different, you're on, the, you're on the wrong train. But when you read it, you realize, you know what? I've had rough days and some rough days I haven't turned to God, but today I'm going to turn to God. That's the yes. Um, I also like to think of it, uh, the transition here 
from the pray, read, analyze to the yes is like the analogy of uh, or the difference between a mirror and a window. When you look through a window, you see a different world. So the analysis tries to help us see, well, where's Jerusalem? What's so significant with the geography of Jerusalem? Where's the Sea of Galilee? All that stuff. We're looking into a world other than our own. But then we have to stop just doing the, the studies. This, this is not a history. Yeah. There's an important historical element of the Bible. But we also need to say, well, how does this apply to us today? That's the mirror. So take a, taking a passage, and every passage, or, or some more, and some more than others, um, ask yourself, well, how does this apply to my life today? Yeah. How does this, how does this passage fuel for my day? It seems like that doesn't even have to be formally asked, but that in reading and praying with the scriptures, the answer will kind of emerge, it seems. If. Um, so, sometimes if we do the analysis properly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, that's what I'm, I'm assuming. I that's what's so important. No, 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 please, Father, go ahead. No, that's why it's so important to, you know, we talk about Lexio Divina or these different approaches that are very helpful. Let's say you open up the Bible and say, well, I want to see what the Bible speaks to me today. That's great because we all need to do that. We right. also have to realize sometimes it doesn't say anything because we haven't done the analysis. So, and the more analysis yeah. we do, yeah, um, like, for example, let's say like Luke 1. Luke lo- loves reversals. So if we didn't s- notice the reversals in the lives of Zachariah and Mary, that at first she was presented, well, she is presented. First of all, she's a woman. She's a young woman. She's not married. And then she's compared, she's put in the same story of Zechariah, who was a priest, who was married, who was elderly, who was a teacher, okay? But then what ends up happening is that he is silenced and she speaks. And what ends up happening is the roles are reversed. So if we didn't, know, if we didn't do that close analysis, we can't immerse ourselves in how, how beautiful that is and, and our self-image and our prayer. In other words, when we realize that Mary, the lowly Mary, was elevated, my prayer, I can say, you know what? I don't. There's some things I don't know. The things that I've done that I shouldn't have done, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I feel really lowly. I feel. I feel like I'm outcast. I feel like. I, I feel really bad. But matter. guess what? Yeah. Guess yeah. what? Jesus specializes in the outcasts. <laughs> Jesus, outca- Jesus specializes in the great reversals. So if we have an image of God who just is like in heaven, breathing thunder and lightning kicked us out of paradise and is waiting for us to make a mistake to zap us. <laughs> well, we're not going to have a very good. Yes. You know, this is not yeah. going to be very you know, best part of interviews always come right at the end. And that okay. was just awesome. That was just awesome. I hope, I hope listeners have, uh, you know, I always wonder, you know, people make it through, through to the interview, but you know, I, for every interview I've done, the gold always comes out in the last 15 minutes. And that was just, golden because I think sometimes for whatever reason our own brokenness original sin our family of origin we do approach it that way the way that you just described which is just like all right I'm just a god up here waiting for you to kind of mess up so I can justify keeping you out yeah and that word brokenness you you mentioned is actually very important because we need to present our brokenness to god but we can't read the Bible through the lens of our brokenness. That's correct. And I think it's a very important nuance. Yeah, what I, I mean by that is if yeah. we have a self-flow esteem, then everything becomes 
God is reinforcing that. And that's why I think that, you know, even though it's so simple, but I think, I think learning the, the simple essential things are actually kind of where our church is at right now. So when you say your acronym of pray, the first P yeah. means like to pray before you're reading. I mean, on the one hand you can go, well, no kidding, father. On the other hand, I haven't been doing that. So yeah. I need to do that. And, yeah. um, that's a huge help to me. I think one of the kind of biggest takeaways for me in this, because I've really been struggling for a few months. I mean, I just remember kind of the early days of my conversion, reading the scriptures with, with delight and just like all the Holy spirit consolations, you know, and now wanting to kind of revisit and just kind of wanting to recreate the early magic of the early conversion days. And then do it. I've got like all the best Bibles and all the best resources, <laughs> everything you could want and still feeling coming up dry. I think, the thing that you kind of impressed in my mind, and I'm sure other people listening will have different takeaways, but for me, I think I need to slow down and not be so cut and dry about old now. This is study now, this is prayer, because the truth is the study has to bleed into the prayer and the prayer Absolutely. study. And so I don't, I don't know that I had to be so hardcore about it and to give myself a little bit permission. The other takeaway I had from what you're saying, so it's super helpful and I'm really grateful, is that it's okay to make the investment. I think there's a part of me that's like, well, I've read the whole Bible, you know, and, and now I, I just want to like sink my teeth into it and like Holy Spirit come down. But I think I need to, it's like a reinvestment, a revisiting, a relearning, yep. a reeducation, a beginning again. And like you said, I, that, that kind of beauty of the analysis, it, it takes time and looking at all of salvation history and really paying attention to the inter, inner text and the you know, all, all the things that you mentioned, I think for me, this was like a recalibration, slow down. You don't have to have these hard and fast lines between like study and prayer, take the time to call upon the Holy spirit, um, to, to read the text as it is to, and to be systematic, keeping in mind the story of salvation history, analyzing, and then, you know, asking, asking the Holy spirit again, kind of end it's kind of a way to end with prayer saying, okay, now how, what am I saying? Yes to here can I make that leap of faith where, okay, things seem really dark. Um, and, and I feel, you know, broken or left out or, or, you know, God, I feel like you're withholding from me, but in fact, can I say yes to the fact that like you said, he's the great role, yeah. the great reversal. Well, like you I, said, like, I, I love I mean, that. I just love that so much, father. Great. So like you said, the gems come in the end and actually probably the best part of this interview is what you just said. So this is great. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll, one, one word in particular is investment. Great. We, we, we kind of are addicted to kind of like, um, you know, messages and texts. I think that's really, really You need to invest. Yeah, you need to I invest think. time, energy, um, in order to really allow the Bible to blossom. To really, like, to be able to look at the text and to really see wonderful explosions in it. Yeah. That doesn't happen by just, by just what's happened in your mind. It well, only it happens to, yeah. when... When yeah. you unfolded the entire plan of salvation, so I, thank I you, thank you for that wonderful conclusion yeah. because uh, <laughs> obviously you. <laughs> you got it all. <laughs> I'm so great. I'm so grateful. So thank to you so much. I uh, really appreciate this interview so much, and I, I really hope and pray it's as fruitful for our listeners and our endowment as it has been for me yeah. in this last hour. So thank you so much. You're Father. welcome, and I'm also grateful to everything you do and all the, the all, everything that endowed us. You're doing wonderful work. Thank you, Father. Small groups and everything. Thank you so much. You're welcome. If this episode was helpful for you, I would love it if you'd share it with your friends. I would also love to hear your comments and feedback, so please email me at simone.riscala at endowgroups.org or feel free to reach out to us on any of our social media platforms. 
Remember, you are the heart of Endow.